Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We approach your word now asking that you would speak to our hearts with light and revelation. I'm asking that you, Jesus, would draw us in to greater understanding of the knowledge of who you are. I pray that truly, truly, we would operate in that revelation that it is well with our soul, that the peace of God, the peace of God, that surpasses understanding. It's guarding our heart and minds because we have peace with God. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of the scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, turn with me in your Bible to uh, Romans chapter 5. And uh, we're going to continue on the series we've been on uh, called Glory and Tribulations. Um, I was out last week. My, uh, my 102-year-old grandma went home to be with Jesus. Yeah, and so I was there uh, and officiated part of, part of her funeral. And uh, it was a sweet time. Everybody got up and talked about how she loved. And I thought, you know, if you wanted a testimony to be said about you at the end of your life, you definitely want people to say, this person was one who loved and it was a sweet time. It was a good time. And so 102, I sat there and said, Lord, really, unless you need, to be, to need me to be doing something at 98, I like the earlier exit plan, whatever. I mean, she was amazing, though. She said to me one time, she goes, I tell you what, it was all good until I turned 99 and a half. And everything started falling apart, as she said. <laughs> anyway, so I was there in Florida doing that. And uh, I heard Jimmy Pridgen preached a great message uh, last week, God's kindness. So we're going to continue now this week uh, on the series we've been on, on Romans 5. And, uh, and uh, let's, uh, let's just begin to read here again the verses we're looking at. Uh, Romans 5, 1 through 5. These are summary verses uh, that give a, a summary idea of what Paul is laying out in chapters 1 through 4. And he gives us several different implications of what our justification, which is a big word that we've gone in detail to explain, but what our justification provides for us. And so then this is a summary statement of that. And so let's just again read through this. I, I think these are critical truths that are essential to our Christianity, yet often overlooked, often not examined. And, um, and so let's just stare at this for a little bit, and, and we're going to talk about uh, the second operative phrase that's here in these first five verses. Let's read. Verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit 
who has given to us. These are such rich phrases, such rich truths that I, I tell you, the more I study, the more I understand that the slower I go, the better the Bible gets. If you'll just slow it down, read the phrases, and then really allow them to read you. Allow the word to stand over you and just declare to you truth. The slower I go, the more light and the more life uh, am I able to, to receive from the scripture. So we talked about this issue of justification. It's a word that uh, is used often, but maybe has not been explained often. Uh, it's a, a potentially a, a theological quandary that, that people argue over, but when Paul was using it, he wasn't using it to start a theological fight. He was using it to illustrate to the Romans uh, what Christ has purchased for us in redemption. And so he, what he does is he uses a term right from the Roman courts of law, and he says, now, having been justified, and that's that, that term, justified, that term from the Roman courts of law, and he's saying, you have now been proclaimed innocent. He said, now, since you are innocent, since though you were on trial and though it looked like you were guilty, but since you have now been proclaimed innocent and acquitted by God, he goes, let's consider the implications. And that's what he's doing here. So he says, you are innocent. You are acquitted by the blood of Jesus. He goes, this massive truth, it affects everything. And when you take a moment and you meditate on this concept that before God, you're not trying to sort of gain his forgiveness but you've already been granted, not simply forgiveness, but a, a, a bigger term is expiation. Your sins have been completely wiped away. You've been uh, granted that by God. Justification, innocence, and acquittal. Because in light of that, there's massive things that you have to understand. And that's, to me, one of the, the key implications is no longer do I have to live my life motivated to try to uh, prove that I'm worthy of forgiveness. Now I live my life because I've been forgiven in absolute gratitude motivated by love. Beloved, when you live motivated by gratitude in love rather than performance in shame, oh my goodness, everything's different. You don't serve God because you're ashamed and therefore you're trying to you know, outperform the wickedness of your sin. You serve God because in gratitude you're in love with this one that would give us such gracious gifts like forgiveness, like justification. You know, it moves me. I mean, it is a, it is a continual fellowship point for me. That I can stand before him knowing I'm unworthy, yet I'm totally justified and proclaimed innocent. And I'll sit there for half an hour going, I'm innocent. Oh, I'm innocent. Oh, you see me as innocent. 
I mean, what are the, what's the implications of this when your heart truly believes you're innocent before God? How will you now approach the throne? And he says it's by a new and living way. <laughs> Boldly. <laughs> because you know you're innocent because of the blood of Jesus. And we talked about inherent in this concept of justification and the proclamation of innocence over you. is It's the understanding that the, uh, there is a prerequisite for justification called repentance. You must repent and turn to God. And it's those who repent that are justified and those who won't repent cannot be justified yet it's by his work on the cross so he says you are justified let your heart be motivated by by gratitude and love i mean if, if christians would simply be motivated by gratitude in love rather than shame i tell you our christianity would take on a completely different luster than it does right now to know that you're proclaimed innocent and to stand before him is innocent and clean not with a bunch of baggage, but completely acquitted. That is such a powerful truth. It impacts every, every facet of you. And so, therefore, he says, now, having been justified by faith, so there's this massive implication about how we are now motivated out of gratitude. And then he says, the second thing that I think is dramatic about this justification, he's, he goes on to say, you have peace with God. Peace with God. Would everybody just say that with me? Peace with God. Let's all just say it again. Peace with God. Now that little phrase is again one that I think is just kind of read over and not really considered. Um, seems pretty obvious. We have peace with God. But to have peace with God is so significant. Oh, it's so significant, beloved. And I'm not talking about having peace in your soul. Now, when you have peace with God, you do have peace in your soul. Jesus gives us peace, not like the world gives. And that peace, it mounts garrison. It guards our heart and our mind. But when, what Paul's talking about here is not having peace internally uh, to sort of to overcome the, the challenges and trials of life, you know, to, to sort of be at peace through challenging things. He's talking about peace between you and God forever. Now that peace fully affects how you handle the challenges of life. But this is a, a different conversation than that. I think we focus on having peace through trials a lot, but uh, I want to focus on having peace with the uncreated one. And that is a stunning thought. You and I have peace with God who is uncreated. This is a precious possession. And it says dramatic things about his nature and his attitude towards us. If you and I have peace with God, then that means this. God's not angry. Let me just say that real good. God is not angry with you. You have peace with him. He's not on the verge of anger. He's not, you know, sort of ticked, and if you do one more thing, boom, he's going to explode. He's at peace, totally at peace with you. You don't ever have to cower when you approach him 
even when you are totally in sin and totally wrong. Because this peace that you have with God is eternally set. Just as the sacrifice of Christ is eternally set. You have peace with Him forever. So when you sin, you're able to come to Him and know that God is at peace with you even in that place. Now think about that because how do you and I generally approach the Lord when there's problems? What's your concept of how God is? What's your mentality of His emotional state? The scripture says that that he disciplines us because he loves us. And it goes on to explain that whenever he sows discipline, he always sows it in peace. Sows it in peace. In other words, God, think about this, he doesn't ever get riled with you. I don't know about you, but I get riled from time to time. I don't like being riled. I don't like that. I want to be at peace. I want to be, you know, at ease in my heart. When my children do wrong, I don't want to be riled up. If they need discipline, I want to discipline them in peace. God doesn't sort of have to get his soul under control so he can discipline you. (laughs) You know, he's not up there going, oh, you did me wrong again. Angels, could you just rub my back for a minute? Because I'm, I'm really like up to here. He's Jehovah Shalom. <laughs> he goes, I mean, he really does go, oh, little buddy. You really goofed there. Come here, let's talk about it. Come here, let's talk about it. And he's at peace. Now, he's not, you know, he's not silly, you know, in, in, in the sense of indiscipline, I mean. He's, you know, he's like, now that was not good. That needs to change. But he's not in this position of angst and anger and, and exasperation. You know, he, he, it's not like he lives there. And so to, to consider that you have peace with God, I mean, it's huge because that means every time you approach him, whether you're in sin or not, you know that God is in a state of ease as it relates to his relationship with you. That's massive. That's massive. And it says massive things about us, about him, about his nature and our relationship with him. So, I love the verse in Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 10. It says, we are as ones who found peace in his eyes. It says, then I became in his eyes as one who found peace. One who found peace. And this verse has got two amazing implications. Number one is this. No matter the storm, the struggle, the trial, no matter the issue, no matter your action, no matter even the rebellion of your heart, even sin, if you go to the presence of the Lord in His eyes, in the place of Him looking upon you, you will find peace. That is monumental 
And the reason why is many Christians, when they sin, they separate themselves from the presence of the Lord. They don't want to deal with the Lord. They don't want to go to the Lord. They feel shamed and they feel like they've got to go, you know, sort of work off their sins so they can come back to God. But the truth of the matter is we are as ones who have found peace in his eyes. Peace in his eyes. In his vision, when he looks upon us, that is you and I, that is our position, our place of rest, our place of peace. It's our place of restoration. So that's the first implication of it. Whereas ones that have found peace before his gaze or peace in his presence. But the second implication, and there are translations that actually translate it this way, one of, the, one of the modern translations says it this way. It says, just looking at me brings him great pleasure or great contentment. And that is a massive point. Because not only do we go into his presence and recognize that that is our place of peace, but when we are in his presence and he's looking at us, he is moved with pleasure. It says it brings him great contentment. That's what the NIV says. Uh, Thus, I have become in his eyes like one bringing contentment. Now, what does that do to our emotional state when we realize that we bring the Lord contentment? I think many of us, we've lived... Uh, with performance mentalities so long that we kind of have felt like we're the one that brings problems if we don't perform well or, or we, we cause, uh, you know, the Lord to, to be, you know, discouraged or dissatisfied. Um, if you've had a, um, ex- experience in your life, maybe with a father or father figure where you, you never felt like you measured up, oftentimes people will approach the Lord and they will feel like the Lord is looking at them through some lens of dissatisfaction. But the scripture is completely opposite of that. It says, no, you've, you've actually, you've become the one that when he looks at you, his heart receives pleasure. His heart receives contentment. Peace in his eyes means actually you bring delight to his heart. We have peace with God. Not only does he not look at you with angst or exasperation, he looks at you and it blesses him. It blesses him. Beloved, you walk into his presence and he goes, it feels so good just to look at you. You know, my kids... Uh, they just love me to look at them. You know, you'll be in the room, and, and they're going, hey, Dad, hey, Dad, Dad, hey, Dad, yes, son. Did you see this? What is it? And, and I look, and they go, see? And they'll say my name, Dad, hey, Dad, Dad, hey, Dad, 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 hey, Dad, yeah. What are they trying to get me to do? They want, they want me to look at them. Not just answer them, but to look at them. Beloved. And, and we know the little kid, you know, one little kid, not mine, praise God. <laughs> Maybe, okay. But we know some little kids, they'll do wrong to get attention. 
but all little kids want attention. And do you know that we are built the same way? We want God to look at us. And do you know that when God looks at us, pleasure is released in his heart towards you? Peace with God. Having been proclaimed innocent, you have peace with God. And that even means that you're releasing pleasure in the heart of God. His gaze upon you equals delight and pleasure released in his heart because of you. Because of you. And I I tell you, if you understand there's innocence proclaimed over you, and when you stand before him, delight is released in his heart, that dramatically changes the way that you approach God. You won't approach him cowering and in fear. You'll approach him boldly, regardless of the issue or the, or, or the thing that you're bringing to him. You'll, you'll approach him boldly knowing that his delight is in you. We have peace with God. Now, to understand how important this is, because it's a phrase, like I said, it's just kind of cliche, I think. To rightly comprehend peace with God, there's several features of it that we've got we've to consider. We've got to understand the violence of separation through sin. And then we've got to understand the enmity that sin causes. And then we've got to understand the power of the reconciliation. See, peace with God, and for that to be a big point, you've got to understand that there was a point where we didn't have peace with God. And, and, and how, how that all came about. And, 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 and what's the story of that? And so I'm going to go through these thoughts. The, the, the violence of the separation, uh, the, the enmity that that produces, the, and, and then the power of the, the reconciliation. Even unto the ministry that we've been granted. And so uh, Jeremiah 1, let's look at this. Just flip over there. Let's just stare at these verses for a minute. Jeremiah 1, familiar verse. This is probably not one of those messages that makes you run around the room, but at the very least, it'll make you take a breath and go, yeah, that feels good. That feels good. That's good to know. And if you can live in the light of it, It'll, it changes your emotions and, and your, your, your paradigms so powerfully. Jeremiah 1.5, we know the verse. It's often quoted. God saying to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That has inc- huge implications. I knew you. Same term used when it says uh, Adam knew his wife or Adam knew Eve. It's talking about intimacy. It's, it's talking about a high level of intimacy. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. God has known all of us For longer than you and I can consider. He says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. So from eternity past, in the time before time began, 
like way back, because <laughs> there's a time when time began, and then there's a time when time wasn't, and God was there. He says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Because before I formed you in the womb, now that's pretty amazing that God puts you together just the way he wants in the womb. He weaves together your DNA. I love to say that phrase. He weaves together your DNA in the womb. But he says, but before that, he goes, I knew you intimately. Knew all about you. Because there's dreams and desires in my heart regarding you. And the foreknowledge of God goes forever in the past regarding you. And he goes, not only did I intimately consider you, not only was I fully acquainted with your being, your emotions, everything about you, not only did I, did I fully understand you and, you know, Thoroughly, he goes, I, I came to know you so much back then. He goes, and it was then that I set you apart. He goes, it was then when I was dreaming of you, of all that you would be, before there was ever a molecule of, molecule of created matter he goes, I knew you, and I thought about you, and I considered you, and I desired you, and I set you apart for me. He dreamed of you, and it was in that moment he says, yes, I will have you. I will set you apart. I will sanctify you for my purposes. And he goes, and I love it. I ordained you. He goes, I called you. I gave you purpose. I gave you reason for being. I gave you reason for breathing. I love this idea. God, I mean, not, don't make it those guys out there. Make it yourself. God dreaming of me. It's like thinking about me. See, it's easy when you go, yeah, God, four new people, whatever them over there. No, 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 make it you. God's like thinking about me. He's like thinking about five, seven, and three quarters. <laughs> like, why weren't you thinking about six foot, Lord? Because because I like five, seven, and three quarters a whole lot. He's dreaming about my jokes, my personality, my my prayers, my needs. He's dreaming of all the days of my life. Writing them down before yet one was. Knowing my choices, knowing my wanderings. Uh, David said, from afar off. He goes, before there's even a word on my tongue. He goes, you know it all together. <laughs> Thinking about every conversation I'll ever have. Thinking about the times I'll weep, the times I'll laugh, the times I'll dance, the times I'll crumble. He's like dreaming of me. Before I wove you together inside, I, the, the, the one prophet says, in the matrix of your mother. For I put you together in there. 
He goes, I knew you real well. Now, so God who dreams of us, who sets us apart in purposes to create us, and then gives us a ordination, a foreordained purpose. Each of us have divinely designed purpose in God, and he's done all that since when? Eternity past. He's been thinking about us forever. How violent is it then for the heart of God to then have full separation happen between us and him? Now think about that for a minute. Some may consider that the darkest day in human existence that's ever been was the cross when mankind put God to death. Yet I think that the cross was such a brilliant stroke of, I mean, on ten levels of blessing. I think there's a far darker day, in my opinion, And it was the day that in one fell swoop, multiple billions of those who had been foreknown by God were instantaneously severed because of the sin of one man. Now think about this for a minute. Imagine you are dreaming of being intimate with just one. One that you love, one that you've considered, one that you've thought about for a long time. I mean, for years and years and years. And in an instant, boom, there's a severing. And that intimacy is gone. Just imagine it with just one. And the pain in the morning. What if it were two? And my heart breaks with compassion over moms that, that lose their children in the womb. I mean, they, there's, there's a, 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 a pain of desire unyet fulfilled that I mean it's incomprehensible except for the heart of God now take that loss of one of two and multiply it by billions and billions and in one moment in one instant Adam takes the fruit tree of the knowledge and good and evil, good, of good and evil. And he eats it and a, a severing, a tearing takes place between God and billions that he's foreknown, sanctified, and preordained. In one instant. It's the dark, I think it's got to be the darkest day in humanity. It must be. <laughs> but God also foreordained a man named Jesus. He he knew the breach was coming. And he foreordained one who is the repairer of the breach. The restorer of the gap. The bridger of that. The pain of, of the tearing in God's heart is incomprehensible And so, we're trying to understand having peace with God. We're now torn out of relationship. Those that he's foreknown are completely torn out of relationship. 
And it's not simply you don't get to have that relationship. It's actually this. We're torn through sin and it's not just that we're separated, but we're removed and then moved into enmity. You know what I mean? It would be one thing if, okay, I can't, I can't reach you anymore, but now it's I can't reach you and you hate me. <laughs> what just happened? Yeah. I've dreamed about you. I've loved you. I've known you. I've set you apart. I've ordained you. And in one moment, not only can I not touch you, but you hate me. This is horrifying. Separation between God and man is horrifying. Come on, the divine emo- what are the divine emotions moving in the heart of God when his creation whom he's loved and dreamed of forever is in an instant torn from him and then made enemies? Come on. I don't even like getting in fights like with my wife for half an hour. Imagine tearing, ripping from eternity past the knowledge of God over you. The tearing and the ripping. And now you're an enmity, uh, you're an enmity with God. You're an enemy of God. And every last one of us, we played out our enmity. Every last one of us sinned against God. I don't care if you're a preacher's kid raised in the church. You've sinned in rebellion against God. Every last one of us, we we actually played into that, being enemies of God. We all did it. And so... What was foreknown has now been torn. The relationship has been torn. And now we're, we're not just outside of his reach. We are at enemies with him. Romans 8 says it this way. In verse 7, the carnal mind is enmity against God It is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Let's make it worse. It's not just that we're enemies. It's that we are completely in opposition to his laws. And we are put in a state of not just opposition, but we are unable. We have an inability now to subject ourselves to God. What are the divine emotions that are happening? I mean, God foreknew it. He knew it was going to happen. But what about when the hammer falls and billions are made enemies in an instant? And they're not just enemies. They're now unable to give themselves to the laws of God, the ones he dreamed of forever. See, we've got to comprehend the violence of the separation and the pain of the enmity. We've got to understand that for peace with God to make any difference to us. Otherwise, we walk around going, yeah, I got peace with God. Do you comprehend 
where you've come from. The horror of sin that's dominated humanity is not the dream of God. It's not the dream of God. Yet we in our rebellion have chosen to embrace that which has enslaved us and we've revolted against the kindest one there is. The most gracious one in our minds has become our enemy. Horrible. Talk about biting the hand that feeds you. It's the the continual condition of humanity forever. (laughs) So Paul says, your mind is an enemy of God. It doesn't doesn't, uh, subject itself to the law of God, and it's not able to. (laughs) In other words, no human can, by his own choice, begin to then do God's law perfectly. And that's the whole point of the law. The law is instituted to show us our sin. He goes, let me explain to you the enmity. Nobody can actually even follow the law. It's our tutor to bring us. It's it's a tutor that brings you to Christ. It brings you to Christ by by showing you your deprivation. (laughs) It brings you to Christ by showing you how broken you are. He goes, let me bring you to Christ. Let me institute the law. Here it is. Boom. Try to live it, people. Doesn't work. I know I've got to do a sacrificial system just so we can even, you know, have this thing in place to cover sin because no one can live this way. And that's what Romans is all about. Romans 3 and 4, he goes, no one is justified by the works of the law. And that's why justification is so beautiful. Justified by faith. Proclaimed innocent by faith. And he goes, because you've been justified, you now have it. You've got peace. We've got to consider the horror of the tearing, the, the, the truth of the enmity for the, for the issue of peace to even mean anything to us. We became haters of God. We hated God. The one who dreamed of us in kindness and love, we hated him. The one who's loved us with an everlasting love, we've despised him. Oh, the pain of the enmity. Get in the mind of the Lord for a moment. Consider the divine emotions over that instant when billions upon billions whom he loved were instantly torn and made enemies of him through sin. Colossians 1.21, he says this. He says, and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, now he has reconciled. Oh, the reconciliation. No wonder all heavens, all the heavens rejoice when just one sinner turns to the Lord. Because the reconciliation is so dramatic. Because the dream of God can now be fulfilled in an individual's life. Because the enmity has been put to death through the cross. No wonder the angels rejoice when just one sinner comes. Because the tragedy has been turned around. Ah, the power of that. 
You ever watch the movie and you thought it was going to end good and it ends horribly and they just leave you there and you just like walk away going, I wish I didn't go to that movie? Beloved, you understand that that is us unless Jesus. It was supposed to be great. Boom! Horrible. And you walk out and you, I mean, you got to like pray for half an hour just to get over it. But that is the story of the gospel for the lost. Unless they repent, turn to Jesus. That's our story. But Jesus. Oh, the reconciliation is so powerful. When you understand the pain of the enmity and the, the tearing. There's all this violence in the tearing. No wonder Christ had to be torn. When you consider the violence of the tearing of humanity from God through sin, there had to be another tearing that would match the violence of the tearing of sin. And another one was torn to bring mending. You see what I'm saying? Sin tears us from God. Christ was torn to bring us to God. It says through the veil of his flesh, he was torn to bring reconciliation. His tearing brings our mending. No wonder the scripture says he has become our peace. This is awesome. This is, again, one of those common thoughts that changes everything. And now when I mention being motivated by gratitude in love, I mean, this is one of those thoughts you can get up every morning and go, thank you, Jesus, you've proclaimed me innocent. Thank you, Jesus, I have peace with God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, I want to love you so well today. Give me the Sermon on the Mount. Love my enemies, no problem. That's mostly how we love God, by the way. We walk out his value system in the earth. <laughs> That's how. We love him through living out his character. We love him by loving others. Remember he says, if, if you can't love these whom you have seen, how can you love God who you haven't seen? See, most of our expression of love to God isn't, I love you, I love you, I love you in the prayer room. Most of our expression uh, of loving God is, I love that one that hates me in the line at Kroger. Come on. No, really. And the way that you can do that is you think about the reconciliation. You go, oh, horrifying. I was an enemy of God. Yet you love me. And now you proclaim me innocent and I have peace. Oh yeah, I can serve you, motivated by love, with a grateful heart. And oh, they're being rude to me. Hey, bless you. Did you just cuss me out? It's okay. Bless you. And they look at you and go, did you not hear what I said to you? I totally did. The truth of the matter is, God likes you, and so do I, quite a bit. What if we operated like that, rather than getting right in there, 
talk to me like that, I'll tell you something. You know, what if we actually did the Christian thing? What if we were actually Christians? Motivated by, by love, gratitude, in gratitude, grateful for our reconciliation. You know, I guarantee you, when we are religious and, and pharisaical in our mind about sinners, I mean, when we go, oh, sinners, oh, ugh, ugh, can't be, oh, can't be, even talk to them. I guarantee it's because we have no concept of the reconciliation. Because when you understand where you came from, when you understand how, how broken and the violence of the tearing between you and God, and furthermore, the violence of the tearing of Christ to bring you back to God, and that you've been reconciled to God, the guy that's still in that torn state, how can you have anything but mercy in your heart for him? Because his life is the story that doesn't end well unless Jesus. Am, am I communicating? Peace with God. Peace with God. We have peace with God. We have peace with God. He's not mad. Better yet, you're not mad. He's made us who were enemies, not enemies. He made him who knew no sin to be sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God. He reconciled us. This is so big. First Peter 3.18, it says this. Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. What's Jesus doing? Why are you loving the cross for the joy set before you? What are you thinking? He goes, I'm thinking about the billions that were separated through the first Adam. He goes, I'm the last Adam. He goes, I'm going to bring them to God. Father, this cup can pass from me, but not my will. He goes, I am in a broken down state right now. He goes, because of the pressure of sin of all the ages upon me. He goes, I'm probably not reasoning perfectly right this moment. If this cup can pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Because I know you and I want to bring them all to God. Suffered the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Oh, I love it. I've just got to read Ephesians 2 to you. Let me just read it to you. It's just so rich. Verse 11. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ. Do you understand? We are Gentiles we weren't even of the promises made to Israel. We were of the Gentiles, totally estranged from God. Go back into your heritage. I guarantee you will find when you get past the, the, the Christian grandfather you've got and you go all the way back and you find out where you came from, you'll find out we were pagans worshiping false gods. Gentiles. Gentiles. 
At that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. Strangers from the promises. Having no hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. How? For he himself is our peace. Who has made us both one. Talking about Jews and Gentiles. He's broken down the middle wall of separation. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity. That is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. So as to create in himself one new man from the two thus making peace and he's talking about making peace between Jew and Gentile unto this and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross thereby putting to death the enmity God put to death that which made us and him enemies he did it through putting his son to death we were torn so he was torn so we would be mended And he came and preached peace to you who are afar off and to those who are near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Oh, the reconciliation. Oh, it's so good. This thing's going to end with a wedding. We're going to be united forever. Talk about the bliss of foreknowledge. What about what's coming? I mean, when it was perfect in God's mind, that's gonna, that was a sweet time. But you and I don't know anything about it. But what about in the day when we are totally united, living out the dream of God in completion, totally united in intimacy forever? Oh, the reconciliation. And with that in mind, Paul says to the Corinthians in chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. See, I remember using that verse all the time, trying to motivate people to witness. You've got the ministry of reconciliation. You're an ambassador of Jesus. Go out there and win somebody to the Lord. And I never considered the fact of my own reconciliation. I never considered the fact of the peace that I have with God. I never considered the horror of the tearing and the pain of the enmity and the power of the reconciliation. But when I've got those in view, then he's given me the ministry of reconciliation. That's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. Therefore, having been reconciled, he's granted us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 18, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That's called the cross. You don't have to be an enemy of God anymore. God dreamed about you forever. 
To the lost, the word is, God dreamed about you forever. Sin has totally torn that apart. But God tore Jesus to bring you back to God. It's the most simple idea. I know these, the, we, we can kind of get you know, bogged down in the length of the, of the words. And, and Paul's breaking it out for the first time. But when you boil it down, he goes, you were torn from God. And Christ was torn for you. And you've been reconciled. He goes, and that's now the word that you have to tell people that there's a reconciliation available for them. And see, that's, that's how we consider the concept of evangelism. We consider it this as, a, as an overflow of the understanding of God's love for you. And when people begin to understand God's love for them, you can't stop them from telling people about Jesus. It's the most fascinating thing. For years and years and years, I would try to motivate people to tell people about Jesus. we got to tell everybody about Jesus and have little effect in motivating people. I mean, some, but not a lot. And then I started telling people that Jesus loved them and that God has dreamed of them and he delights in them and their heart became alive and they begin to consider the fact that they now have peace with God and through that revelation, that ministry of reconciliation that's been given to us, it happens automatically. And I can't stop people from evangelizing. Because they understand that they've been reconciled. And what's been given to them is that word of reconciliation. Look at verse 20. I'm landing here. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That is our word. Be reconciled to God. Believe in Jesus and his sacrifice. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Does this make sense? This is so good. Oh, we can come boldly to the throne, understanding we have peace. Peace with him. You can talk to your family member or your friend that doesn't know Jesus because you didn't know him and you've been reconciled. It's such a simple message. God loved you forever. Sin tore us forever. Christ was torn so that we could be mended. That's what he was doing through the cross. That's what the cross was about. And what happens is truth gets buried in the cliches. And people, and people say stuff like, Jesus died for your sins. And they go, uh-huh. They don't understand. Jesus died for all of their sins in order to bring them back to God. That's why we have the ministry of reconciliation. Because we've been reconciled. That's why peace with God is so powerful. And when you have peace with God, beloved, you have peace with God. What could there be in life that would take your peace from you? When you have that landed, then you operate in peace not like the world gives, but peace that passes all understanding. Peace that guards your heart and your mind. Peace like a river. Because the issue that matters has already been settled. It's already settled. I have peace with God. Therefore, I have peace in my life. 
That's it. Amen. Let's stand. It is well, isn't it? Good choice this morning. The Lord is so kind to us that way. He'll oftentimes preach my message before I ever say it. He'll preach it through the musicians and the singers. Lord, we stand before you right now as ones who are aliens and strangers. worshipers torn out of fellowship because of the sins of our father Adam and yet now in Christ we've been brought near reconciled through the blood of the cross justified pray don't let us take our peace with you for granted I pray shine light on that truth so the cliche melts and that the beacon of truth oh that it, it pierces our hearts oh and we stand in the truth of our reconciliation by love with grateful hearts come Holy Spirit come Holy Spirit witness to us the truth that though we were enemies unable to submit ourselves to the laws of God By faith, we have been redeemed, brought back to God, and we have peace. Come, Holy Spirit, shine light on this truth in us in the name of Jesus. Come.